Hi, friends. It's Garth Williams from the CBAC. Today, we have a brand new episode of Unexpected Leader to share. But first, I've got to say, wow, what an unexpected season this has been. When the COVID-19 pandemic began to take hold in our part of the world, we recognized the wave of decision-making and information was overwhelming for many CBAC leaders. As a result, we didn't want to distract from the current context or to be tone deaf. And we didn't want the stories of these young leaders to get lost in the sea of content being shared. So we decided we'd take a break. And since mid-March, we experienced the weight of the pandemic, a series of tragic events in Nova Scotia, and then most recently, the ugly reality of racism, injustice, and prejudice against Black, Indigenous, and people of color in our neighborhoods. The wave of revolution and protest sparked by George Floyd's murder in the U.S. remind us of the ongoing need to address systemic racism in our power structures, society, and church culture. And it calls each of us as followers of Jesus to self-examine, identify, and confess the sin racism so that we can be part of the solution and not the problem. More than ever, our world and our churches need leaders who are Christ-centered and responsive to his call on their lives. And telling stories of God's invitation is also something we believe to be crucial for this moment. Starting today, we'll be releasing three of our final episodes of this season, in which we heard from young emerging leaders in our CBAC family. Let's take time to listen and honor the gift of their stories of God's invitation on their lives. We look forward to a new season this fall, where we have conversations to explore what it's like to lead in unexpected times. As always, thank you for listening. This season, we've chosen to have conversations with our younger leaders about their unexpected journeys in ministry. We're excited to share with you their stories of how God has called and used them in the lives of the people they walk with. The world that is so natural to them seems so far removed from the one in which I started out in. Their wisdom and experience is so helpful for our families of churches, and by sharing their stories, we can all move toward being better leaders and followers of Jesus in this moment in time whether we ourselves are new to the journey or have been on it for a while. Thanks for listening in. We want to welcome you back to another episode of Unexpected Leader. I'm joined today uh, filling in for my co-host Lois Mitchell with uh, Ron Scott. Ron, good to have you with us. Thanks. And Ron and I have the pleasure today of having... uh, Evan Colford with us. Uh, Evan, we want to welcome you to the podcast. It's good to have you here. Good to be here. So Evan, just as we get started, uh, can you take a few moments just to set up your ministry situation for us? Yeah, sure thing. So um, currently right now, I'm the senior pastor at uh, Berwick Baptist Church up in Berwick, Nova Scotia. Started there a number of years ago, about six years ago, I guess, as the youth pastor along with my wife, Kayla. Um, And then about after four years or so there in that role, we became the co-senior pastors. And then just fairly recently, um, I became the sole senior pastor. It's a great, great church, um, old historic church in our denomination, founded 1828. So we go, we go way back and uh, kind of a good uh, long uh, legacy of of reaching out to the community, things like that. And so right now, um, as the sole senior pastor, that's kind of how I'm trying to lead is to 
to uh, help us to really engage with the community and just be a, a gospel witness right there in, in Berwick. Now, just to fill in maybe what people listening to mm. us may hear is a bit of a gap there. You were co-pastoring with your wife, Kayla, and now you're solo pastoring. Right. Nothing has happened to That's Kayla, right. yeah, yeah. but maybe just fill us, sure. fill our listeners in on just the fact that she's done a transition, so to speak. That's right, yeah, so not, nothing bad happened. Um, she's now actually currently away at uh, basic training for the military, and her uh, she's going to be a uh, padre with the Canadian Armed Forces, and she's been posted down in Greenwood, um, Nova Scotia. So she didn't leave for any bad reason. Um, it's a good reason, and so uh, we're, we're excited about that new adventure. Evan, one of the questions that we've uh, had the pleasure of asking those who sit uh, in on this podcast with us is to uh, think back to when you were in high school, as you were preparing and kind of dreaming about finishing high school and what you were going to go on to, what were you thinking of doing at that time? Coming to my end of my high school years, I was actually on my way to uh, UMB Fredericton to take a, a nursing degree. It was going to be an RN, and actually I do have one full year of training for, for nursing the first year towards an RN degree. But after that uh, first year, quickly found out that that was not... Uh, not for me. That that was the initial trajectory, the idea behind that. My father was a paramedic, and so he had his foot kind of in that, in that door a little bit. And he knew that, particularly for, for a man, that at that time, that going into nursing was a, kind of a quick and, and good way to get a good job, um, to be well taken care of, all that kind of stuff, which, of course, parents think about. And uh, so both my parents really tried to guide me in, in that direction, not in a negative way, in a positive way, you know, just uh, trying to encourage me. Myself, along with two of my friends from high school, went off to, or three of my friends from high school went off to UMB Fredericton to take a nursing degree. So, so what? So what happened? What changed? Yeah. Um, after I had some experience in clinical, I realized that that it just wasn't for wasn't for me. Um, it's not that I did particularly bad in the in the courses. I, I think I did quite well. And but once I was in the the clinical setting, I realized that this is not something I could see myself doing for for the rest of my life. Not that I could have changed it down the road, but um, I just I just knew. And so I thought, why would I continue doing training if I knew that it wouldn't be something that I would uh, would enjoy? What I did enjoy though was when I was on the the unit that I was posted at just chatting with the people and getting to know their stories, hearing about them, that kind of stuff. So that, that intrigued me. And looking back as a pastor now, I can see why, but at the time I, I didn't. I just knew that nursing itself was not not for me. So when you switched out of nursing, what yep. training did you switch to? Yeah, so I uh, didn't go very far. I just went to St. Thomas University um, and still was kind of unsure really. But my degree that I did end up finishing at St. Thomas was in uh, criminology. I had toyed with going off maybe to become an RCMP officer, which as I think back now is uh, not something that I don't think would suit me very well. Um, but then I also thought later on in that degree of going to law school, um, which again would just be back down to, to UMB, a context I knew well. So that was the, the thought at the time, but God had some some different plans in store. Yeah, so maybe we can jump mm, sure. to that piece of it. At, at what point in time did you begin to think that pastoral ministry was part of what God was inviting you to? So not for quite a while yet. <laughs> Even at the end of my um, degree at St. Thomas, I would not have said, oh, I'm going to, to seminary to become a pastor. That was still not really on my radar. During my university years, I did have some kind of wrestling with my with my faith, um, really went through some, some, some struggles uh, where I kind of had to make my faith my own, if I could put it that way. At that point in time, through just being on the internet, coming across some names. One of those names was Craig Evans at Katie Divinity College at the time. And I stumbled upon his name and then I stumbled upon where he was at. And that kind of led me to find out about ADC because I wasn't raised in a convention church, had no idea that ADC existed. Um, and so I, I found that out and I, I just had a strong sense that that's where God was leading. Again, not because I thought I'd become a pastor, but just I felt I had a good sense that God wanted me to be there. 
So what does it look like for you? Uh, you got connected with Berwick Baptist Church. Can you walk us through how that played out for you? Sure. My wife and I both actually came down to to the seminary here in Wolfville. Both of us entered in without specialization. So we, again, we did not have a sense that pastoral ministry was the was the direction, but we, we did know that we needed to have some some work and just get involved in, uh, in, in church life here in the Valley. Before we started, we sent out our, our resumes to Shauna and Shauna sent them off to churches in the area. And we were happy to receive a reply from Berwick Baptist during our first year, which is a little, a little different. Generally, you get placed in a church the, uh, the second year of your MDiv degree. Um, but they reached out to us um, to see if both of us would be interested in an interview and that they might be interested in hiring both of us, which we thought was pretty awesome. And so we both went down to, to Berwick, was interviewed, things went well, and we became the co-youth pastors at, uh, at, at Berwick Baptist. And so that's that's how that started. And funny, funny thing there is that we actually went into that interview thinking we were just going to be like helping out with the youth group, you know? What is it like working as a youth pastor in a CBAC church? We did both enjoy it. What I would say is that there were some difficult times at the begin to begin with because we were still trying to even figure out what in the world we were doing here, what we were doing at this kind of uh, older established church um, that had been around for a long time, um, didn't have many children on a Sunday morning or kids on a Sunday morning. And so really we're wrestling with that. But what I would say is that over the years, as we kind of trusted God through that, what we believe he wanted us to do is to be there. Um, we, we did enjoy that work. It gave us some awesome opportunities to reach out to um, kids in the community that have no connection to, to church. And so what we've, what we've found very interesting is having to explain to kids what Easter's all about, you know, like these, just these basic things that really gave us a good insight into, into the generation that's coming up behind, uh, behind us, right? That uh, church, for many of them, just has not been on their radar. And so I think that has helped both of us well for where we are now, um, how we kind of engage with people, engage with families, young people, um, all that kind of stuff. And so it did, it did lead to some awesome opportunities to really be witnesses uh, in that community for the gospel to people that otherwise might not might not hear it. Does that mean that you have to recalibrate your, your language even in, in ministry if these kids haven't been in Sunday school all their lives or even grown up in a really church-soaked context, uh, maybe they don't have the vernacular to understand what we mean when we're, when we're using churchy language. So maybe maybe that was a, a big thing for you guys to have to walk through and, and think about. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that is really important um, to, to just understand the context that we're now ministering. I remember a story that I read, I think in a biography about... Um, about C.S. Lewis, that he, you know, he was the kind of the the dawn, right? So he had of Oxford, he had the the language and all that stuff, and he started doing these speaking engagements, and he spoke to I think a group of soldiers, if I'm not mistaken. He realized that the things he was saying was just not resonating with him, right? Because he wasn't engaging in in the proper language, and so he really went back and recalibrated it, and and whatever he did, obviously made it so that he had a great impact on that generation through the talks on BBC, Mere Christianity, and all that stuff. So I do think that the, the language that we use makes a, makes a big difference, right? If, if, if a kid's coming there and he doesn't have any idea, he or she doesn't have any idea what Easter's about other than the Easter Bunny and I get chocolates and stuff like that, then you got to really think about the language that you're, that you're using and that you're, that you're assuming. Evan, when you think about uh, the church obviously maybe took a risk on you and Kayla when, when you went down for that meeting and then you discover you're you're in the midst of ministry. At what point in time did you kind of go, yeah, this is something that God's inviting me to on a full-time vocational basis? 
That's a good question. I guess what I would say is maybe in my final year of the MDiv, which would be really when both my wife and I decided to actually go down the ordination path. Because again, we had, we, we entered in with no sense that ordination was the, the path, like right at the get-go kind of thing, at the beginning of the MDiv degree, um, again, without specialization. But in that final year, and I don't even know if I can put real, like really a time or a particular words to it. It just had a had a sense that this seems to be where God is is leading. And and that really has been certainly my story. I'll speak to myself, not Kayla's, but to, to my my story is that um, I've never had like the, the moment where God, you know, the clouds open up and God's voice speaks to me and says, go into pastoral ministry. Never had that. It's always been kind of uh, step by step. God's led. I've had a sense this is the right direction. Walk through that door. And then he shows me kind of, uh, or leads, I shouldn't say shows me, but leads me um, further on down down that path. I just try to discern where is God leading and try to be faithful to, to where he's leading. So I would say probably in that final year of the MDiv, both Kayla and I decided that we would pursue ordination and that really led us to where, to where we are. Along that journey in that last year, or even along your, your whole journey to that point, can you identify some people who you would look back and say, they asked me some good questions or they kind of were challenging me to think through uh, what God might be doing in your life and, and give this a thought? My, my mentor through the mentored ministry program was uh, was Gordon Sutherland, and uh, and I know he does a lot of a uh, lot of work now with um, intentional interim ministry. Um, so he was my mentor because he was down at Kempville Baptist Church at during the first year of my uh, mentor ministry, which would be the second year of my MDiv. And so uh, Carol Ann hooked me up with him, which was awesome. And we even continued that mentoring relationship in the second year, even though he was in Moncton. And uh, and so he he really. I think helped me on that path, just, you know, being a great mentor, being a great listening ear as I was trying to wrestle with what the direction was um, going forward. So certainly I would say he was. And then just, I guess, probably the, the, the courses that I, that I was taking, you know, uh, courses with uh, Carol Ann um, and, and others that uh, Dr. McNally would be, would be another one um, that just really got me thinking more about uh, ministry, the practical side of, uh, of doing ministry, of theology, all that kind of stuff. Because I am someone that I love the books, right? I love books. I, I could stay in my office all the time and, uh, and and study, study, study. And I love teaching and all that kind of stuff. And so I really had to, to wrestle with what that looks like in a, in a, in a church context, right? And, uh, and so some good people helped me kind of wrestle, wrestle through that. And I would say Kayla as well is, is right there through it all, right? Obviously, she's my wife, so not really a mentoring relationship there. But we both wrestled together through trying to discern where God was, where God was leading us. Other people that really kind of helped me to to think through the sense of a call to pastoral ministry. So I mentioned Gordon Sutherland will be one, um, but also when I when I was kind of going through the the uh, ordination process with the CBAC and you know very affirming Greg Jones and and Garth, uh, you yourself certainly were were helpful as I as both my wife and I wrestled through that. Uh, sense of call into pastoral ministry. Evan, we all have our own stories and I, lo- I love hearing our stories and thank you for sharing yours about how God brought you to where you're at uh, in, in the chair of being a, a young leader in a historic church. But certainly our own stories shape how we then engage with other leaders that we are able to identify. And so I'm just kind of wondering, how has that shaped you? Because I know that you've had the opportunity to work with a couple of different um, youth pastors since you've gone into uh, the lead role. How has your experience shaped you to be able to give them space to develop their leadership ability? And then a follow-up to that might just simply be, how would you encourage other pastors to think about the young leaders they may see? Yeah, so certainly... In my own my own story has been one where people really have uh, 
have have allowed us to have significant contribution to ministry, right? To, to, to do things, even though we're young, inexperienced, and didn't have much experience in it. They took a risk on us, I guess, you know, and they, they allowed us to take on significant uh, roles within the church. And th- that has been helpful. So I, I had the good fortune of being raised in a, in a church that really helped me with that, right? Like my parents always modeled service in the church. So they were always, you know, very, very involved in the church. So that's a huge blessing. But the pastor as well got me involved along with the other young people in that church and allowed us to pray, to, to speak. I remember he had us uh, quite young leading a whole service, right? And I mean, he helped us and all that, but he really um, stepped out and allowed us to do significant things in a Sunday morning service. And so that was always really formative for me. And then coming here to the Valley, being involved at Burke Baptist, being young leaders, you know, so they even took a risk in, in hiring us um, with really very little experience in the, in, in the background, but they really helped to foster that, gave us... Um, gave us great opportunities to serve. And so for me uh, now as a, as a senior pastor in a church, and, and I do think it is important for us as senior pastors, although I know I'm still quite young and haven't been in the role very long, to try to do the same thing, to give young, well, first thing, to recognize giftedness in people and then give them significant opportunities to exercise those gifts. You know, don't be afraid to give up your pulpit on a Sunday to allow someone to try out their, their preaching or teaching ability. Allow them to lead um, a session of a Bible study or pray, read scripture during service, all those kinds of things. And so I myself have been, have been trying to, to do that even over these last uh, few months, trying to get um, people reading scriptures on Sunday, on Sunday morning, leading the prayer, you know, the pastoral prayer. It doesn't have to always be be me leading that prayer. And so I allow them to, to do that. And, and others, of course, um, in the church as well, just to try to engage the, the wider body um, and, ha- and have people hear different voices and see different people. But certainly I do think it is the role of us as pastors or elders, whatever you want to, however you want to uh, refer to that, part of our role. We need to think about it as part of our role to raise up other leaders, right? Because we need more and more leaders, right? To be leading churches, to understand the gospel, be crystal clear on the gospel, um, be able to, um, you know, try out their skills and to grow in those skills so they can serve where God leads them. You've been in pastoral ministry for... Just about six years. Just about six years. What has been the most unexpected thing that you've uncovered as a young leader within the context of pastoral ministry? What's caught you off guard? Well, for me, one, I guess the overarching thing would be that I've really come to enjoy pastoral ministry. That's been somewhat unexpected um, to me because, again, not having a, a real strong, you know, from the get-go kind of uh, sense that pastoral ministry was for me, but I have really, really enjoyed it. Um, I've appreciated the opportunities that I've been given as a young leader, even to be a senior pastor right now is, you know, that was kind of really an amazing thing. But there certainly has been difficulties that I, that I've, uh, that we've encountered. There's been some good turmoil in our short, I'm saying hour because my wife and I served um, together for, for such a long time, but uh, we've faced a fair amount of difficulty in, in local church uh, ministry that has been somewhat unexpected. Mm. Um, I'm sure those who are further down the line in pastoral ministry would say, well, it's not unexpected, but for me, you know, being younger, some of the things have kind of really take, it takes you aback when you think about some of the things that people focus on and just, you know, generally the, the, the difficulty right now of ministering in the context that we find ourselves in, right? 
I mean, even as a youth pastor, having a, having a, a youth not have any idea what Easter is all about, right? Like that, that was in itself kind of an unexpected thing. Important lessons um, to learn, but nonetheless unexpected. What's been one of the keys in the midst of that unexpected piece? And, you know, if I allowed myself to go back and to the early years that I was involved as a lead pastor too, I can go, I could probably find some tumultuous times as, as well. And, and what for you has been the difference in, in not maybe just giving up? Because I think there is a temptation when, when um, we start out in pastoral ministry and, and we hit some rocky waters and all of a sudden we realize that everybody isn't nice and kind and sweet, like Aunt Mary, who was a church person for 50 years, and all of a sudden we're in the midst of broken relationship and confusing times. And, and a lot of people would just kind of say, love, love Jesus, love the church, but don't want to lead it. What for you helped stay on track or continue to pursue that? So what I guess what I would say is that uh, that sense of call, right, that God has me here and that certainly uh, has allowed me to endure some of those uh, difficult times, right? And, and also my relation with my wife as well. Like Kayla and I, we were able to face these things together. Um, I think that was really, really important. And, and another thing I would say I, I did find that seminary did prepare us well for caring for ourselves, right? Which I think, if I understand correctly, might not have always been emphasized in seminary training, um, that kind of care of self. Regardless of whether or not that used to be the case, we, we certainly found that they did uh, encourage us to take care of ourselves and to make, that, make sure that's an important part of what you do, take time for your family, um, all that kind of stuff. And so that's, that's helped us uh, to push through those, uh, those difficult times. Great support networks as well, people that we can um, share our struggles and, and trials with to kind of vent our difficulties to people has been, has been good a- as well. And that's really helped us to um, continue pressing on. But what I would say certainly is that sense of call, right? That God has me um, there and he, and he wants me to be there. And so that helps me to be able to face those, uh, those difficult times that come. In this day and age, this moment that we're in, I think it's really important to look at the air that we're breathing, the water that we are swimming in, so to speak, and say what seems to be happening or recurring more frequently these days in ministry within the church or in wider society. What conversations do we seem to be having more and more these days? So in your position within the context of Annapolis Valley or in our wider Atlantic Canadian context, What have you been noticing that you've been having to have more conversations about or things about our current moment in time that you feel are noteworthy and and ought to be talked about? Two things in particular come to my mind um, that I've been talking a lot about with my congregation. I don't know if these will be surprising to you or not, but uh, one of them has been church membership and uh, and prayer. So I've been reading a lot about around the area of church revitalization because certainly in my context, and I think and I would imagine this could be similar for a number of our churches, is that church revitalization is is important and it's key, right? A lot of our churches need revitalization. And so I've been trying to read in that area a lot. And two of the things that keep coming up to me, there's other things, of course, but two things in particular have been around the topic of church membership and also the importance of prayer, particularly in church revitalization. And so I've been trying to, and, and I have been having lots of conversations about that um, in my own church. We're doing a little uh, study right now, which has probably been the most well-attended study 
that I've done at the church to this to this point in time, all on the topic of church membership, right? What does it mean to be a member? Is membership still important? You know, will membership be around in a, in a, in a, in a few years? And my own personal view would be that I think understanding of, of church membership is actually one of the keys to revitalizing um, some of our church, to many of our churches, right? Um, that to be a, a member of a church means something, that we should take that serious and that it's a bizarre thing and it shouldn't really be the case that we have membership roles that are filled with names of people that we've never, never seen, you know? And so I, th- I think if we rejuvenate our understanding of church membership, good old Baptist polity, take regenerate church membership seriously, um, and that church membership means something, even get back to, to using church covenants or church pledges and all that kind of stuff, which I know sounds old school, but I think our forebears were onto something there, right? Because if you're going to be a member of a church, then you need to understand that, that means something, right? And if, and if we all have that understanding, we all take that seriously, then think what that would do for our churches, right? And that it's not okay if you're, if you're on a list, uh, your name is on a list, but you've never darkened the door of the church for many, many years, right? That, that that's, that's not okay um, because it's confusing to you, but it's also confusing to those people who are actually taking membership seriously. So that's been one thing, church membership, I do think it is important. The other thing I would say is prayer, that we... Uh, and again, in the context of church revitalization, that prayer is so very important, that we be praying churches that take prayer seriously. Um, one of the, the members of, uh, of my congregation has like a, a photo or something like that up in, up in their house that says prayer changes things. I always love that. I think that's so true, right? That prayer changes things. And so prayer is so important. We need to be praying churches if we want our churches to be revitalized. If we want to be joining God and and changing Atlanta, Canada, one neighborhood at a time, we need to be um, devoting ourselves to fervent prayer. Um, And I do think that is is, uh, key. Thank you so much for taking time to do this with us. What advice would you give to young leaders uh, who find themselves entering into leadership roles within some of our churches. What would be one or two pieces of advice that you would give them? One thing for sure um, would be if you're going into a, a church, I think one of the things you want to do is to really take some good time to get to know the church. And even in my own short time, I've, I've seen and I've heard things about how often particularly younger leaders can come in with, you know, with great vision, great gusto, and uh, it can end up in a, in a real mess. And so what I would say is just enter in humbly and gracefully and really take time, get to know the people, get to know the, the context, you know, go and dig in some of the history records. I'm a, I love history, so I'll put that little plug in there. Learn about the, the background of your church, get to know people in the community. And really for the beginning, maybe even for the first year or two, really try to encourage that church before you make huge and significant changes, get their trust and show them that you love and care for them, right? And that you really love and care for this local body of believers that Christ has died for, right? Like love them and care for them, pray for them, get to know them so you can preach good sermons to them that speak to their life and really encourage them. And then I think that will set you up well, at least it's been my experience, to then have those more difficult conversations when you got to do the more more difficult things that'll, that'll come down the road. Um, and so I think that would be my kind of my overarching piece of advice would be just to enter into to the context of a local congregation humbly, gently, and really encourage and love those people so that you can 
uh, really have a, a lasting impact for that body of believers and really for that community and for the kingdom of God. So that would be my my parting piece of advice. Yeah, well, thank you so much for that. I think that's great advice. I think that's important advice uh, to understand that when we enter into a church context, we're not there just fresh and there's a history that's been there and there's a people that have existed there and that there's a beautiful history that we can come alongside and join and, and get to know and encourage them before we begin to kind of understand what our story is going to be with them. Evan, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. It's been really great to have you here. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Yeah. And so on behalf of uh, Ron and myself, we want to thank you for taking the opportunity to either download the podcast or to stream it. And uh, we uh, appreciate your valuable time given to that. If you've got any feedback for us, we would ask you to reach out to us uh, on Instagram at Unexpected Leader, and you can share with us your thoughts and your ideas about the programming. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks again for listening. If there's someone you know who would be interested to listen to this podcast, please help us out and share it with them. And if you, yourself, or someone you know is experiencing a call or challenge from God to investigate what vocational ministry might look like, now is a good time to act on that. We invite you to go to yourcalling.ca and then reach out to us. You can reach Garth Williams by email at garth.williams at baptist-atlantic.ca. Again, that's garth.williams at baptist-atlantic.ca. Remember to take care of one another as you journey in this life. These are unexpected times. And a final note on the issue of racism, which we mentioned at the start of this episode. We also want to encourage you to listen to the voices of our brothers and sisters of color. Ask what the Holy Spirit wants to teach you in this time. Speak up when you hear or see racism happening in your family or friends or church or neighborhood and amplify the voice of the marginalized.